The next two episodes of Little Red Village are going to be the first and second half of our interview with makeup artist Aaron Ionian. If you watch Hulu's The Great, you've seen Neon Demon, Maleficent, Mr. Brooks, or Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, then you've seen Aaron's impeccable work. Her childhood fascination with makeup led to a career that she sees as scaffolding, helping a performer to literally embody the character they are portraying. She's worked regularly with both Demi Moore and Lucy Liu, and these days her main clients are Elle and Dakota Fanning, all of these actresses. And the many other talented performers and filmmakers she works with all really appreciate the barely there, natural look that Erin specializes in. After speaking with her, I can promise you that achieving such a look takes a whole lot of work. We'll be talking about the differences between doing makeup for film, TV, and for the red carpet, among many other fascinating topics. Like all our guests, she loves her work. And helping young people find careers that they feel this way about is really at the crux of what we're doing with this podcast. Erin says that she never really grew out of playing dress up. And we are so very glad that she didn't. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Little Red Village. Today we have with us Erin Ionian, who has done the makeup on some of your favorite celebrities on favorite shows, favorite movies, and going to share with us some of the secrets behind the scenes. Talk to us a little bit about what that career means and maybe how you get there. Thank you so much, Aaron, for joining us today. We are so happy to have you, particularly as one of our first guests in the makeup space, because for us at Little Red Fashion, fashion intersects with makeup, hair, and so many other ancillary industries that are part and parcel of creating image, particularly in film and television. And our job is to expose young people, kids, and not an insignificant number of adults to the ins, outs, what's, when's, why's, and how's of that part of the industry. From that Venn diagram. A lot of overlap. And what I'm really interested to learn from you when Rachel told me that we were going to be speaking with you, I think something a lot of people are curious about particularly younger people, is really what the process is like for being in charge, for example, at The Great, of an entire show's makeup. What is that like running that department and that whole thing? And how does it differ from, oh, I'm responsible for my client's face in my chair? Most people think of a makeup artist in a very client-facing way, but being in charge of an entire production, that's a whole journey. And I'd love to learn a little bit, and I'm sure our listeners would love to learn a little bit more about that. It is very different. Unfortunately, the great is not a great example because I am responsible for Elle on that show. Ah. I'm not running that department, which is very much what I prefer. I mean, it's really nice to get to focus in on one character and go really deep instead of broader. There's a lot of administrative and ordering and scheduling, mm. and that's the thing involved with running a department, and that's not couldn't be less interested in that. I just want to <laughs> a true artist. I just want to get to the meat and potatoes of the craft. It seems. What is your favorite part about? the process and and really what what about makeup drives you just being part of the story helping to tell a story with makeup and collaborating with whatever actor I happen to be working with on what does this person look like what are they motivated by what's their history what's their inner conflict what are their goals just everything about the internal noise that this person this character has going because you want to reflect that on the outside or any external stuff that's happening obviously it has to reflect all of it's just, it's great fun to sort of craft a person because it's there in the script a lot, but most of it is, 
up to the actor's discretion. How do I want to portray this person? I'm and sure it helps an actor to be able to look like a character, to have a visual representation of what they're trying to imbibe. Or Yeah. I mean, that's what I've always heard from whoever I work with. That like, I feel like that person. So it does help. I'd also imagine, similar to costume, you're always treading that balance between, let's say, either fully historically accurate if it's a period piece and commercially viable to a modern audience's eye where they're not going to feel like they're... Yeah, that's another thing that I struggle with because I really want everything to look completely real. Like, I don't want 18th century prostitutes with perfect skin and, like, white teeth. (laughs) And it's like... (laughs) It didn't happen. No, when everyone's single Acadius and their teeth to be yellow and like people, if that's the film it is, like that's what I want it to look like. But unfortunately, I work most consistently for the last decade with Elle Fanning, who's extremely into whatever it takes to make the character believable. And she's not, she doesn't have that vanity of like, no, I have to look pretty. She doesn't. Right. She's always struck me that way where it's about the verisimilitude above anything else. I mean, she has the good fortune to be beautiful. Right. I mean, she can also make a burlap bag look phenomenal. (laughs) Just a nice problem to have. Yeah. So she just really, really wants to go as far as we can with the character, do the most, the most detail, even, and we're both such perfectionists. It's like, even if we're not going to see it on camera, it has to be there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. I absolutely respect that. I think that's the mark of a true artist, that commitment to the full spectrum exactly of it from the beautiful and sublime to the shadowy hideousness yeah i think that most creatives i know who work in the industry often find that they're trying to do that and failing because someone in a suit or some other person on the crew or powers that be is pushing them to some other pole that is more focus group driven, metrics driven, quantitatively informed. Exactly. Uh, it doesn't look hot. Or that. We could just put, yeah, to put a fine point on it. Doesn't look hot. Well, Elle was recently on a uh, podcast for Variety and she told a story about when she was 16 years old, she did not get a role as a father daughter comedic grade trip film because she was not. <laughs> was okay. Yeah. So, I mean, my skin crawled when I read crawled that. Like, there's the room. Like, yeah, it was just yeah. like, and there's there's a lot. I think there's a lot of that. I think it's probably not as overt as it used to be after the last several years, but it's still going to be. Of course, how people it's, are yeah. change. People are people. It just goes more underground. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Which is its own form of insidious. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, and more difficult. You just fight, but and it can get better, and I think it definitely has. Absolutely. That's why we love talking about these things and guiding them towards even a younger audience so they can both be aware of what's out there in reality, but also prepare themselves to part of the change and empower themselves to not have to move those mores forward. Yeah, and you, it's, it's also hard because as a makeup artist, I'm living in a world where there's a hyper attention on everything being in line with the current zeitgeist. And not particularly for me, but it can be inhibiting to creativity because you're limited in what you can actually portray. And I don't think it has to do with like sexuality or violence or anything, but people look for the characters in films to not be the person that they want to approve of, I think, in this day and age somewhat. And you have to have villains. You have to have... (laughs) Not all people are going to be good people. 
and they're going to be offensive, say offensive things. Well, yeah, this, this I you're speaking to a dancing around cancel culture, but it's true. I think a lot of people consume entertainment and consume media and celebrity with an eye to just finding how to poke holes in it, and, knock it down. Yeah, and know, we also and if, love villains. I mean, the characters and shows that sometimes we identify with most or we might want to emulate. I mean, any major film that I can think of, there's a huge fan following behind bad guys. Like, bad guys, it's an interesting dichotomy to see. How well, you can't, you can't paint happens. a good portrait without shadows. And I think <laughs> we've created a society where sometimes even putting a shadow in a painting to create chiaroscuro yeah. is, is dicey because there's a large contingent of people who think there shouldn't be shadows because then you're platforming the shadow and platforming is a tacit endorsement, which I don't think is true personally. Right. Because I, also, I mean, there is the other argument that you are giving it a platform and you are portraying it in a way that can be considered glamorization. Young people are possibly seeing this and being influenced. As a human being, I think that we do bear responsibility for what we put out into the world. But I am a full believer in free speech. And if you don't like it, look away or turn it off. Very much. I, I mean, I very much agree. It's a, like you don't have to I was, agree with it, but that doesn't mean you have to make as long as no one's actually being harmed, you don't have to be avoid. Very much that. Shout out to all our librarians out there dealing with all the things right now. For burning work. Because I fully agree with that as well. I mean, I had a recent discourse about this surrounding Nabokov, where I was like, Did you actually read the book or do you did you read Lolita or not? You're not supposed to like this yeah. protagonist. Yeah, He's no. the villain. He's because a bad guy. And you can't flesh out a character without that and and i think that's important but to, to take it back to, i think the bulk of people that are angry are getting most of their information from the internet they're not actually picking up a book and reading it exactly and you see in clip after clip of these things where they're like did you read the book then they're backtracking well no but i've been told i think that anyone who loves to read would have a fair opinion of Nabokov. you read pale fire pale fire would be i don't know puts things in perspective yeah. I was always a big fan of Ada Arder, but that's a different story. So, Aaron, when I was like 11 or 12 years old and asking questions about makeup, my parents sent me to John Robert Powers. And I was wondering what your entryway into this might have been. I, I Oh, gosh. It was I'm, not nearly as glamorous as that might sound. It was a lot of walking with books on heads. Oh, yeah. Well, I did all that, too, when I was a kid. <laughs> it's just I never grew I think I told you last time we spoke that I just never grew out of playing dress up and by the grace of God I got to have a career where I'm basically doing you know I've always loved just creating characters and finding the beauty and everyone and magnifying whatever it is I, I want to hold a magnifying glass over what's beautiful about each face I started just doing my sister and like the girls mm -hmm. on my street like corralling them into my bedroom at one point in junior high school, I had a line going out in the bathroom at lunchtime of girls just waiting for me to do their makeup. Oh, I love that. That that makes me think of like Kevin O'Quan and his stories too, of his yeah, siblings I, and all that. Kind of like that. I did my mom's makeup when I was like seven, eight. She would put all her makeup out and I would just paint her and that's the thing we did together. So it started really early. I've always just loved it. It's transformative. We talk a lot on this show with our guests about the power of almost like armor that clothing, in this case, makeup can provide. Yeah. It's sort of what we said earlier about helping a performer to imbibe a character. It can make you feel brave, I would think. It can make you yeah. feel strong. 
one less thing to worry about. <laughs> Here, impenetrable. I mean, there's so many different ways you can use makeup and things that it means to different people. I'm kind of the makeup artist that doesn't like makeup. <laughs> if you're wearing too much, take it off. I don't really, I don't appreciate that aesthetic of the, the real heavy foundation with the contour and the cut crease and the, that cookie cutter thing that's happening right now that everyone seems to aspire to, or not everyone, but a huge part of the population. Young people in particular. It's just, you yeah. kind of all morphing into the same person. The same bronzer. <laughs> like a triangle. Wide set eyes, remove the buckle fat, get the lips mm. and and then do that makeup. So, mm. It is a bit of a, a rote schema, I, I guess would be the good yeah. the right word. Far be it for me to tell someone it, it's wrong. Like it, the purpose is to feel pretty. So if you feel pretty like that, go ahead. Enjoy. Exactly. Everyone feels pretty in all sorts of things and more power to them. I think that's also the beauty of makeup. I think that's why we see the explosion like on TikTok of makeup artists, frankly, because it's just people being able to avatar, to create an avatar of themselves with makeup. Exactly. You know? You can express so much through it. And it's fun. I mean, you know, you wash it off, it goes down the drain at the end of the day. Which is yes, many, many moons ago, I used to wear a lot of makeup in New York City doing club kid things. So I had my looks and, and things. And it was always so much fun because I'd be halfway through and then I'd be like, oh, wait, this is me. Oh, yeah. Like I'd, I'd be like half like rhinestone eyebrow things with silicone thing, like crazy alien things, all this sorts of stuff. And then I'd be like, oh, that's me in there. Right. But this is Thank still me. But this is my alien facet. It's really one of the best things about makeup, similar to fashion, is that ability to just play dress up like you spoke to. And you also spoke to character building. And I think we're not given enough places in society to openly play with our own character narrative. And makeup and fashion allow us to do that. And I'm curious, as character building goes, a little bit of when you, let's say, are on a new project. What does that character building process look like for you? How, how does that usually break down for you? Is well, it usually a conversation first with production and then who they've cast? Is it like, how does that go? First with my actor. I will first talk to the actor because production is going to definitely have their own agenda. And I don't really want to ask them anything because words mean different things to different people. So if you see a word that hits them the wrong way, it's going to be a no right off. Mm. And maybe if you just show them instead what it is, they'll like it. So and of course, I just really like, okay, maybe Disney or Sony or whoever hired me, but essentially I worked for the actor. So right. what they want is what I wanted. Do you have any sort of, not standard, but typical process that you follow with your actors for honing in on what that character's aesthetic is going to be? Or we, is there anything? If it's a real person that we're trying to, to copy or if it's an imaginary character. Imagine, of course. I mean, when Ellen and I did The Girlfriend Clean Bill and it's a real person. so. I just dug up as many photographs as I possibly could of her in all different stages of her life. We thought about skin tone, mold placement, what are her freckles like, just everything that we could possibly know. And of course, some of it you just have to imagine because you don't see everything. You don't see everything, right? Of course. So, but of course, it's always a conversation first with the actor. What are you thinking? Here's what I'm thinking. And then we all start pulling, the two of us will start pulling photographs, inspiration or literal things that we'd like to emulate if it's a real person or just like if it should feel like this could be paintings it could be old-fashioned photos it could be a still life with flowers i mean it's just like we try to make a, a book of a vibe oh, i love that i say vibe far too often so yeah I, 
<laughs> right up there with Saucy. And of course, trailer will be completely wallpapered with everything during it. Amazing. So once, let's say once you've gotten something down with the actor, do you find that often makeup related considerations work their way into the writer's room? Do you find like, do you ever have any dialogue with that kind of a thing? Not very often, unless it's something, for instance, that's going to be expensive. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely going to be addressed. Just on like a micro scale of that in season three of The Great, at the last episode, she got stabbed through the hand. And I don't think the writers really had occurred to them that now for the rest of the series, she has to have a scar on her hand. Mm. So we had to get molds made and it takes an extra 10 minutes in the morning, which is, it's really nothing. It's fine. But they were all like, oh, it's going to be expensive. Oh, it's going to take too much time. And you have to just work that out. (laughs) (laughs) Do you enjoy prosthetics within the field of makeup? I have a very minimal knowledge in that area. I mean, I can do a handful of little things that I've picked up but i'm not i wouldn't call myself adept. i'm really much more of a beauty character artist that's what i that's what i gather from your your work yeah you never know sometimes people have their like oh, i love experimenting in my free time with things. I mean, i have huge respect for those artists that's a whole other now you're getting into sculpting and it's just a whole other animal you had a mentor if i remember correctly there was a hairdresser who really just took you under her wing? Yeah, no, I I wouldn't call her a mentor, but she was just somebody who was really kind to me. The first big film I did, her name was Colleen Callahan, and she's she's not with us anymore, but I think she saw the look on my face day one on Charlie's Angels. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've bitten off way bigger chunks than I can even think about shooting. Like, oh, continuity. Oh, you're going to have to keep track of it. Oh, they're shooting all this out of order. Like, I had never done this before. Mm. So was that your first big feature film? Like, like I had done a print job with Lucy Liu and she's like, Oh, can you do a film with me? We're doing another Charlie's. And I was like, Yeah. Because you worked with her for like a decade, didn't you? Right, you worked with her for over 10 years, like not exclusively, but very regularly. Right. Just Colleen looked at me, saw my face, and said, Don't worry, I'm not gonna let you fail. I'm here. So, That's so good. Yeah, I was so really blessed nice. in that. Because oftentimes you just get hazed. <laughs> like, oh, well, you're on your belly. <laughs> oh. oh. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to transition to your first film job, that, that first job at Charlie's? I mean, I think I was just very apprehensive about what I am used to doing looking good on film. I didn't know mm. if it was going to translate. translate. Yeah, I just didn't know what, what looks good on film. Is it different than what you're doing for print? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, I mean, at that point in particular, that was so many years ago. That was like 22 years ago. <laughs> I mean, it was... Don't say that. It came out 20 minutes ago. I was... <laughs> right? I know. That was 22 years ago. That was 22 oh, years ago? Yeah. Oh. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, but we we did our first day of the show. I don't know if you guys saw that film, but it was like the, all them playing around the car wash was like our first day of shooting and Next day we saw dailies and it was like the first time that I was going to see what I had done. And I remember just like thinking down in the theater. Here it comes, here it comes. And like her face is like 20 feet wide on this big screen. And she looked beautiful and like applause for Team Lou in the room. So yeah, I can do this. You're like, okay, I can breathe now. I can (laughs) breathe. And I, I felt like an imposter the whole time anyway, but. They just mm. through. I knew how to make her pretty and we got along. So 
but it was definitely. What would you say the biggest differences are between working with a performer for a red carpet event, which I presume is like a still photography type thing versus. I mean, you just always have to be aware of what light the kind of light the person's going to be in, how long they're going to be out and about with the temperature like. I mean, there's <laughs> you have to consider and the film, the cameras today are so, they pick up more information than your eye does, which is, drives me nuts. Use it for I bet. Sport and nature shows. Like, you can watch adults mm-hmm. like that, but it's unfair to watch people like that. So it really became more about getting the most effect with the least amount of product because you see everything. I actually like how you phrased that, that you should use it for those and not for people. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that there's, there's it's deep. You, you, it's you know, like every pore, like, like your facial hair on women coming out, like it, it makes you, it's very high contrast and like super, super sharp. And it's just, they do that because they need all the information for CGI and so much stuff has post these days. So they need to use that, but I just wish they'd go back to film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A challenge. I'm actually glad I, you elaborated on that because I did not know that. That's why they're with red carpet. Everything in the beginning, I would definitely do makeup that looked great to the naked eye. But then the person goes out and they have like eighty flashes on their face at once, and it disappears completely. And they look like no makeup. So actually, have to put a lot of makeup on to make it look like they're not right. Really, right? And it's it's matter. And then God forbid they're strobing. And then (laughs) I mean, fortunately. My primary clients these days are Elle and her sister, Dakota, and they both have beautiful skin and they have great taste. So it's not like a big struggle. We just come up with more right. video. But um, right now, I'd imagine with the length of your working relationships, you already know what works. You got your products down. Like what's going to yeah. work well for it? Yeah. I mean, Elle and I are hilarious when we're talking about a look that works. She'll say, I, it should be like, yeah. And then I'll be like, yeah. It, and then, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're just like, yeah, each other back and forth. <laughs> Saying anything? Don't ever make that. It's <laughs> yeah, love nodding. Uh-huh. That's great. I love that. Yeah, that's actually great. I mean, that sounds like the ideal relationship you would want to have. I mean, with your your, your glam I'm squad. Blessed. I mean, I I adored them. Been they're super fun to work with. And you you met her when she was very young. Yeah, um, I started working with Elle when she was fourteen, and she's twenty five. Yeah. So you told me her mother was on set with her, and it yes, was her mom was on set, and she's done an incredible job raising those girls i mean they're really good people i think her mom is of course concerned that they have good people around them that were going to be wholesome and not shady and like not put a ton of makeup on their face and try to make them look like they were 28 because neither of them really wanted you run into so many teen girls that want like the full beat down want to look like they're a real housewife (laughs) (laughs) but you know ellen dakota have always had great taste and there was never any of that they just wanted to look beautiful, so we're a good match. No, it's nice. Oh, yes. Ellen got along, so it's nice to see people be protective. I mean, yeah. you, you hear about children in the industries not always getting that. It's yeah. wonderful to know it's possible. It's possible. I mean, I think there's obviously cautionary tale there, but not in the case of these two. They have really solid family them. So I know yeah. I asked you about this before, but I really want Jonathan to hear it. That Paco Rabanne dress that she wore on the red carpet yeah. one that I'm well, still in love with. What? She so beautiful. I, we loved it too. It's my most liked picture I've ever posted. Like, I'm like, wow. It's, but you're always surprised. Like, it's a beautiful picture, but like, why that picture? 
But yeah, people loved it. And then of course I'm looking at the comments and their fights are happening. Like people are saying it's hideous and like, <sighs> how dare you be respectful. And like, people are just like, God, you guys, it's just a dress. It is all good for your metrics. It's all good for your analytics. I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's true. Can't be bothered when I'd like to step in and be like, God, oh, guys, break it up. It's just a dress. It's just a dress. No, but Paco Rabanne is to this day still polarizing. I mean, right? Yeah. And everyone was like, how does it stay up? How does it stay up? Well, if you're like a centerpiece and then it goes around the neck, it's like, it's right. It's that's the thing about Paco Rabanne's work. It's, it's very jewelry like. It's got the collar support structure and then it hangs off. Of, you're basically a chandelier. Exactly. <laughs> All the O-rings, yeah. That's everything that we want. So. It's one of my dreams. One day I'm going to find one of those DIY kits of his and I'm going to oh my gosh. find two of them, actually. Keep one in pristine and then make <laughs> a true fashion historian. I will have my pristine one. And they, would, they would call it a fortune if you found them, I'm sure. Uh, oh. I mean, it's imaginary, yeah. How many people there are like floating around for sale? Amy. Oh my God, there can't be that many. You see them every now and again. I think I saw one on Trimpton Couture once. Very you know, sporadically. Outside of my out. price point, but girl has to dream. Girl wants to. Yeah. You don't know. Everyone has to dream. You're just like, I think, flesh I think every, I think every fashion and beauty and aesthetically driven person has those grail items that like, oh, I won the Powerball. I absolutely this up. Yeah, I've been trying to stop being so covetous of shiny objects. I'm such a mad guy. It's like, ooh, it's shiny, ooh, it's sparkly. Like, I have so much stuff. We, I live in a fairly small apartment. I have way more things than I need. Like trying to purge. I am a maximalist and guilty. You let them here then. It's like an unattended goodwill drop. Only the things are. Oh, no. Like books are like a fungus that grows in here. I. Yes, I am an avid bibliophile. I have way too many. I hoard books, clothes, uh-huh. and like miscellaneous aesthetic tchotchkes on top of oh, yeah, the art that I produce because like, I'm also a painter. So there's just my, always. My thing is like my 19th and century mother of pearl things. Ooh. Nice. Pea caddies. Nacre. I think that's what the, the name is. Yes, Nacre. Yes. Yes. That would be it. My fun fashion facts. Here you go. Everything <laughs> Oh, I wish. I wish I did. That would make me. Yeah. So, from what I understand, at the beginning of your career, you really spent like two years traveling across the country, right? Four years. Four years, but like, yeah, yeah, a long time working with... It was like my version of college. I just packed up all my stuff and for my little apartment, put my grandma's garage. And then there were these two photographers that were friends and back and forth with the two of them. And we just traveled all over the state like doing testing for modeling agencies like Tulsa, Denver, <laughs> Miami, Seattle, just everywhere. And I was probably doing up to five girls a day and I was doing hair too. And wow. we do three looks. Oh, wow. Them. So I, I might be doing 15 makeups and 15 hairdos in one day. So I learned how to work really fast on a lot of different types of girls and with essentially no one really looking because there aren't very many makeup artists in these little places that so you even though I was far from adept at, at many things I might be the best one that they've seen because there aren't either ones there because there's nobody around actually it's nobody's there and it was great fun it was just like freedom and roaming around and never knowing where we were going to be next week necessarily but it was a lot of fun yeah after that I just came back to LA so I was going to put some back down and 
where I'm from, and that's when I got an agent, started assisting people. That was such a fun introduction to Erin Ionian's work. As always, of course, I have a few footnotes to highlight that will also be part of some of our free worksheets and resources on the blog at littleredfashion.com. Kicking off our footnotes for this first makeup-focused episode here at Little Red Village, we have the famed makeup artist Kevin O'Quinn, who I mentioned in the episode as a reference point and we discuss a little bit later on. Kevin O'Quinn was perhaps the most iconic makeup artist of the 1990s. The talented visionary grew up the victim of relentless bullying in his hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana as a young gay man to the point that he dropped out of school and started studying cosmetology. He moved to New York after being beaten by homophobic security guards at a local department store, quickly making a name for himself by working with Vogue and doing an ungodly amount of test shoots with models. He began a working relationship with famed photographer Stephen Mizell. His career took off during the 1986 season with his cover with Cindy Crawford, eventually publishing many books and in many ways laying the foundation, pun intended, for contouring as a practice. Kevin was the first real celebrity makeup artist even playing himself on an episode of Sex and the City. Unfortunately, he died tragically from his battle with a rare pituitary tumor that had gone undiagnosed most of his life. He left us at the age of 40. Number two, Paco Rabanne. You may notice that name because we've mentioned it before during our conversations with couture collector Sandy Schreier, but we just heard it again in this episode in the context of Aaron's most popular photo of Elle Fanning wearing a Paco Rabanne dress, but who was this metalworking magician? The Basque fashion designer's space-age style helped define the 1960s aesthetic along with other greats like Pierre Cardin and Mary Quant, but he stood head and shoulders above the rest with his use of unconventional materials, especially metal, which isn't really surprising given that his career began by creating jewelry for Givenchy, Dior, and Balenciaga until founding his namesake label in 1966. Speaking of 1966, Rachel discussed being on the hunt for one of his famed DIY kits because in 1996, Paco Rabanne released DIY kits of the iconic design from his 1966 collection titled 12 Unwearable Dresses in Contemporary Materials. These coveted kits contain the discs, pliers, and metal jump rings or hoops for putting those discs together, as well as the instructions for making the garment yourself, all packaged in a tiny little clear plastic suitcase. For anyone like Rachel who would be looking for one, sometimes they come up for auction in the range of about $1,500 to $1,800. Good luck finding one. I hope you do if that's the kind of thing you want. I myself am on the hunt for the DIY Fendi kit. Anyway, that being said, that is the end of today's footnotes for today's episode at Little Red Village. And a reminder, please, if you can, on your listening platform of choice, make sure that you rate and review Little Red Village because that helps us with the algorithm and we love to hear your feedback because we are here for you, because fashion is for everyone. 